Last Tuesday, I went into a random group of people who were saying they wanted to ask life's toughest questions, life's most deepest questions. And the first thing that a person asked me, this was a 50-year-old, once divorced, married twice Jew. He asked me, you're going to seminary. How do you know that your religion is true? How do you know that Christianity is true? Don't all the other religions, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, atheism, they all claim that they know the truth, right? So he asked me this hard question, and you know, we're having a conversation, so I want to hear him out as he says you know, all the gripes and all the issues he has with Christianity. So I could have said, you know, for all of us, we have personal experiences with God. You know, we see God, or we meet with God, or when we pray, we feel God's presence, or when we're at a missions trip, or when we're here doing worship, maybe we see and we feel the presence of God. That's personal experience. Maybe for you, some of us, Christianity makes logical sense, or for atheists, logical, it makes logical sense to them. Or maybe it's emotionally captivating, right? When you're here singing, or when you're here uh, at worship or when you're with your friends like you feel the love of God and you feel love that comes from Christianity or maybe you just say you know my family goes to church so I guess I'm a Christian as well and or you say like look at all these other millions of people that also believe right so isn't that kind of proof right so I put up some pictures there there's the Asbury revival some of you might have heard of it Uh, it was a great revival tens of thousands of people both Christian and non-Christian were going there to repent and ask God to forgive them of their sins. And there's also this new movie that came out, Jesus Revolution, about the 1970s revival of the hippie movement, how Jesus was seen and how they viewed Jesus as Lord. Even though they were taking drugs, even though they were having a time of free sex, they repented, right? Isn't that good examples of why Christianity is true? However, the issue is that, next slide, please. The issue is that, you know, every other religious movement, every other type of idea has these devotees, right? This guy, he's an atheist, but he looks like he's having a really good time, you know, you know, proclaiming atheism. Uh, there's Buddhist monks who devote their whole lives to Buddhism. There's people who take pilgrimages to Mecca, and there's people who take on a really hard life of Orthodox Islam, or people who have no religion. They find that, you know, since all these religions claim that they have the truth, but if they can't prove it, then it's better for us just to not practice Christianity, stop going to church, stop doing these kind of things, you know, because we don't know the truth, right? That's ultimately what they say. If I were to ask you this question, how do you know that your religion is true? How would you answer? You know, would you give me those previous four answers before? Well, anybody from any other religion can give you the same thing, right? So there has to be something deeper, right, for us Christians to believe that Christianity is true. And next slide, please. There are going to be two major questions that we're going to answer today in today's text, right? How am I supposed to know, you know, that a religion is true? You know, my, either my religion or Buddhism or Islam, like all of these things, how am I supposed to know that a religion is true? What are the claims that it makes so that we understand it? Now, it might seem logical, but we're going to get through there. And the second question that we're going to ask is, next slide, please. You know, what difference does it make? So these two questions go hand in hand, right? When someone asks you this question, when you ask yourself this question, is Christianity true? You're also asking at the same time, what difference does it make, right? Hello. So up there, I have the famous coexist sticker. 
This was really popular back in like 2010, 2008. And I also have the golden rule. If you look at this, you know, people will claim that, you know, everybody has the same religion. You know, all of it is the same. It's just teaching us how to live well, how to live good lives. Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, atheism, I guess, you know, maybe atheism doesn't teach any specific rules, but they all live in a good way. You know, they want to live to be beneficial to their neighbors, to be beneficial to their family. So it makes no difference, right? But it does make a difference. In today's text, we're going to look at this, right? We're going to look at the religious leaders. We're going to look at Jesus, and we're also going to look at Jesus's uh, top disciple, the lead disciple, Peter. And we're going to see how all of these different questions interact with their lives, with their testimony, as well as our own. So, Next slide, please. John 18, 12 to 27. It has two different stories going side by side at the same time. So the first one is the A plot, right? Last week, we heard from Pastor Terrence how Jesus was taken out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was saying, hey, just take me. Don't take my disciples. Right? If, don't take my disciples there. I don't want them to be punished like I am. It's not their time yet. And I was like, Jesus, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Not their time yet. So, so Jesus is taken to Annas' headquarters to be questioned about his teaching, right? They're not really there to figure out the truth. They don't really care about his answers. Instead, they just want to kill him, right, despite him telling the truth. And then there's the B plot, right, that we read in verses, uh, uh, in some of the verses. You know, Peter and John both head to where Jesus is taken, and you see Peter is able to, you know, get in because of John's help. But instead of sitting at the court testifying that Jesus is good, he's sitting with the other servants and warming himself in the fire because this was at the middle of the night, and it was really cold, right? And there, at that fire, by those other people, he denies Christ two times. Right? This is Jesus' top disciple. So why is John writing this to us? Next slide, please. So John chapter uh, 18, verse 12, I'm going to talk about the B-plot first, Jesus with Annas. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised that the Jews, uh, that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So you see the purpose for why they're leading Jesus there. Caiaphas, the high priest, is telling the Jews that Jesus is a troublemaker. These people believe that he's going to be the king, he's going to be the Messiah, that he will start a revolution against the Roman Empire, and we're all going to be destroyed because of it. So instead of letting us be destroyed, we're just going to kill him, get rid of him, any way that we can. You see, Caiaphas, you know, he was a true gangster, even though he was you know, the high priest, this holy man, he's willing to do what it takes to protect his people, right? Jesus, you're a troublemaker, get out of here. I'm going to kill you. Not only kill you, but in the most humiliating way possible so that nobody else follows in your footsteps. That's what his goal is today, right? Next slide. Yes. So, and then they bring Jesus in. That's the backstory. And verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching right? He's trying to see, like, okay, Jesus, you know, what are you teaching? I don't really care. And Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. It means I have nothing to hide. 
I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple, right? This is where places where people meet out in the open, public discussion, where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret, right? Why do you ask me, ask those who have heard me uh, what I said to them? They know what I said. Right? Jesus is telling them, why are you asking me? Right? I could just make up anything right here. Like, you just want me to say, like, oh, you know, it was all a joke, you know, I didn't mean to teach these, you know, hard things against, you know, sin, teach all these hard things. Instead, why don't you ask those who are with me, right? Give me, you know, witnesses. Have witnesses come and proclaim, you know, what I have been taught. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with the hand, right? Slapped him, or maybe he hit him with his fist, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I had said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But, what, uh, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him away, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Annas, uh, Annas was also a high priest. That's why they call him the high priest previously in verse uh, 19. The thing is, is that, you know, when we are taught, you know, to tell the truth and we're struck, Usually, it's meaning, it means that they don't want us to tell the truth, right? So I want to ask us this question, right? In this story, in this situation, next slide, please. In this story, in this situation, you know, who's the liar here, right? Who's the liar, and who's the one that's telling the truth? You guys are all in church, and you're reading in gospel, so you might say, oh, obviously, it's Jesus. It's Jesus the one who's telling the truth, and the high priest and the other people are lying, but, you know, I want to ask us this because we have to see, right? We're here to answer the question, how do you know your religion is true? How do you know that Jesus is truly God? How do you know that, you, you, that this religion is true? Right? That's the question we're asking, right? Or maybe we're asking a different question. Next slide, please. Jesus wants us to look at his teachings, Right, when he says to the high priest that, why don't you ask the people who are with me? Why don't you ask the people who I have taught? Go look at him. He's telling us at the same time, you know, hey, go and read. Go take up and look at the Gospels, right? We do have a witness to Jesus Christ, and those are the four Gospel accounts. He's seeking, John is writing it to us as his audience, well, not specifically to us, but the first century Jews, right, when Jesus says this, right, at the time, they could find witnesses of Jesus, you know, thousands of them. And they could have picked, you know, a hundred of them, 12 of them. There's so many disciples, there's so many people out there who can proclaim what Jesus is teaching, right? You can get and look, you can search for yourself, you know, to see if this is the truth. But we don't want that. You know, we don't want to do the hard work of going out on our own on this long journey to go and find and seek the truth, if it's really true, it should just be given and plain and obvious to all of us, right? Isn't that how it is, right? If one plus one equals two, that's completely obvious, Jesus, right? We believe uh, when we will see Jesus doing miracles in front of us, right? That's what they're saying. You know, we will believe if God gives us a sign, right? Mark chapter nine, we will believe if Jesus teaches us directly, Right? We don't want other people to read and to, to look at in order to find Jesus. 
Like, Jesus, you're here right now. Why don't you just tell us directly? That's kind of what the, the officers and the high priests is saying, right? But also for us, right? Do we feel this way sometimes? You know, do we really want to read scripture? Do we really want to take the time to, you know, disciple one another, to read it and bear it and to understand it, to chew on it? No. You know, sometimes, you know, we say it's really boring or it's really tedious or we don't understand it, right? We want Jesus just to show me. Like, show me that you're God. Isn't that what we're asking? If he shows us that he's truly God, then obviously we will know that this religion is true. That's what we're saying to God, right? But is, is this the right thing to do, right? And the second plot B, the B plot answers this. Because guess what? Next slide, please. That is not enough. Peter has seen Jesus do many miracles. Peter has been given many signs that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter has been directly taught by Jesus for many years. And guess what? When Jesus needed him the most, he still denies him. He sees, Peter sees Jesus feed the 5,000. Peter sees all the healings. Peter sees all the miracles Jesus does. And yet in his own heart, to save himself, he says, I don't know this man. This man is not God. This man is not who he is. I don't know him, right? So let's look at that story. Why does Peter do this? Why does Peter betray Christ? Why does he betray Jesus? Right, verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was probably John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, right? John enters with Jesus to the courtyard. Peter left outside at the door, so the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out, right, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Peter is now in to the palace. Right? And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Right? He just came in with John. Right? Obviously, he's one of the disciples, right? And he said, I am not. Right? And he, now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So you get this picture? Jesus is in the courtyard, right? Open air space. John is with them. There's a bunch of crowds of people. You know, the whole mob is there. And to the side, you know, there's people like, I don't care. I just want to stay warm, right? And where does Peter join? Not with Jesus in the center, but to the side. And he tries to warm his body because it was a cold night. Next slide, please. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it a second time and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Right? This is the this is the prophecy done in John chapter 13 saying that, you know, Peter will deny Christ three times before the rooster crows, and it just happened, right? And at the time, Peter says, no way, Lord, I wouldn't deny you. I know that you are truly God. I trust you. I have full belief that what you're teaching is true. I believe that you are the Christ. Some of us in Sunday school, we've seen that, right? 
what was that? That was Mark chapter, uh, ch chapter 8, right? Right before the transfiguration. So, sadly, I don't have my Bible. It's a, you know, it was raining on Friday. I tried to cover my Bible with my raincoat. I walked into the door. I took off my raincoat and my Bible, and I put it on the table. And I forgot that my Bible was underneath my raincoat. So, that's why I, I would normally be, you know, shuffling through it. But hopefully I've memorized or God speak through me, the Spirit. So, Peter, he already made all these claims that he trusts that Jesus is God. If you believe that Jesus is God, he even says, I'll die for you, Jesus. But when the time truly comes, no matter how much Peter has witnessed Jesus doing amazing things, he cannot trust in Jesus. Right? So what does this mean? Next slide, please. What does this mean? Why does Peter deny Jesus? Is there something wrong with Jesus? Is there something wrong with the Christ? Is there something wrong with what he teaches? No. You see? Next slide. The big idea for today is the problem is not with Jesus. It is with us. It is with Peter. It is with the high priest. It is with the officers. Jesus tells the truth. Jesus proclaims the truth. But we stand against it. You see, we are not like Jesus. We are not the ones who are seeking the truth. We are the ones denying the truth. Right? It is with us. Before we can even ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying? Are you saying the truth? Are you good? We have to ask ourselves, do I tell the truth? Am I good? Some of us, maybe a, a bit with a narcissistic tendency, yeah, of course. Right? I speak the truth, and I'm good. Right? I think that I'm a good person. I get good grades. You know, I, every time my teacher asks me a question, you know, I speak the truth. But when it comes to the things that really matter, right? in public, when we're being punished, do we still speak the truth? When we're put in a place that is extremely anxiety-inducing, like what Peter is being put into, no matter how much we see of Jesus, no matter how much God exposes himself to us, we're still denying him. Right, so I'm going to flip the questions that I promise you that I would answer. I'm going to flip them, right? Instead of, how can I know that this religion is true? It should be always like, how can I ever know that anything is true? Right? I'm a liar. I'm, I'm no good. How can I possibly understand things? But the issue always is tied to the rest of humanity. If I say to myself, Derek Ma cannot understand the truth, then I can say, can you understand the truth? You can't understand the truth, so no one can understand the truth, so we're creating the truth for ourselves. And that's the trap that modern society wants to put us into. Because we don't understand you know, because we're all sinful or we're all fallen and we all have problems, then it's not possible for us to really see. And everyone should have their own opinion. But Jesus says differently. Why? Next slide, please. Right? Jesus tells us, oh wait, next, next slide. Whoops. Yeah, I should have went through this. So Mark uh, 8, that's what we were talking about, you know, Peter. And, you know, the thing that Jesus rebukes the most is Peter, right? He doesn't rebuke the high priest. He doesn't rebuke the sinners the most. The person that he criticizes the most in Scripture is Peter. He tells him, you know, after Peter says, you are the Christ, you are God. And then Jesus tells him, right, I am the Christ. 
I am God, but I will have to suffer many things and die at the hands of the chief priests. And in three days, I will be revived. And he's like, what are you talking about? Jesus, that's not who God is. That's not who the Messiah is. Peter has his own idea of who God should be like. He has this idea that God will come in like a conqueror and he'll never be defeated, right? Isn't that what we say, right? Peter, Peter has this wrong idea about who Jesus is. And Jesus has to rebuke him so hard. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man, right? When we only get one part of the picture, the only part that we get is the things of man. We say to ourselves, oh, I can't understand the truth. You can't understand the truth. Those are the things of man. However, we have to put our minds to the things of God, right? We're not the only person in this picture. When it comes to the account of truth, we are not the only people who have a say in this. Next slide, please. All right, so how am I supposed to know that our religion is true, right? What hope do we have to actually understand or know the truth? We believe that humanity is lost, humanity is cruel, humanity is full of liars. You know, everyone will say this. We think this is true, but, you know, maybe someone else is like, well, this truth is not that true. But Luke 18, 26 through 27, Jesus tells us, those who have heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God, right? And this seems like a very Christian answer, like, ooh, out in the ether, like, ooh, you don't have the answers, you want to know the truth, but we have the truth. Just, just come with us to Christianity. Just believe, and you know, God will give you the truth. That's true, but we're going to take this and try to expound on it to see, you know, what does this really mean? You know, someone greater than us must work in us to transform us, right? So in order for you to learn, you know, chemical engineering, or, you know, mechanical uh, engineering, someone has to teach you, right? So that's kind of what Jesus is saying, right? So what is, what is this thing that we're trying to be taught, that we're trying to bring into our lives to change us? Next slide, please. Right? So this is what it means. This is what one part of it means. It's very deep. It's very vast. But for today, it's this. You know, we love others despite who they are, but Jesus loves you no matter who you are. Does that make any sense? It looks really similar, Derek. You know, but there's a world of difference in these words. Right? Think about it. Right? I might love my friend despite their problems. Right? I say to, say to my friend, uh, let's say Samuel. Right? I say to, say to Samuel, out there sleeping, <laughs> you know, I love you, you know, because you're, you know, a good kid, you pay attention sometimes, and even though you're sleeping right now, you know, I care about you, right? So, sorry, Samuel. And then, um, but Jesus, you know, loves us no matter who we are, right? Me, Derek Ma, I might have a patience, right, a, a tension level, like Samuel is too much, right? Uh, you know, or, you know, Someone does something terrible, right? Somebody does some awful sin that I can't forgive. Like, say, he runs over my dog, right? That's hard to forgive. Or he does something, he just insults us, you know, insults me or, you know, says the F word, cusses me out. You know, oh, man, I don't care about them anymore, 
right? Because the levels of sin and love are different. When we say we love you despite who you are, what we're saying is, you know, the amount of good things that you have within you outweigh the bad, right? But once those bad things outweigh the good, then there's no way that I possibly love you, right? So your parents, they give you a lot of love because you're their kid. Like, that's the highest thing, right? But, you, but even some parents, right, there's a, there's a moment when they're no longer is able to be loved, right? But Jesus is different, right? Jesus loves us no matter who we are, right? Do you get that? So even if you are the greatest sinner, even if you're a person who's completely insecure, annoying, unknown to God, unknown to other people, you keep your whole life secret to other people, you hide behind your own facade, your own mask, right? Jesus still loves you. And how can he do that? You know, can't I do that? Can't I love you like that? But here's the thing, I don't know you. We don't know everybody else. We might get to know an impression of them. We might know their name, or maybe we know what they look like, but Jesus knows us deeply. Like, this is the difference between our love, what is possible with us, and God's love, what is impossible to us. It's not possible for us to say we love everyone no matter who they are, right? Because we have to meet them. We have to know them. We can't do this. Not only that, but when someone gets to that level of hatred against us, right, we have to give up loving them. If they're willing to kill us, we have to say, sorry, man, I hate you. I don't like you. If you're willing to kill my family, I have to stop you. I have to kill you. But here's the difference with Jesus Christ, right? Even when the high priests put him on the cross, even when Peter denies him, even when the Roman soldiers begin stabbing him on the side, he still loves them. He still says, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He loves you no matter what, not despite who you are. No matter how bad you can be, no matter how sinful, disobedient, rebellious, different, uh, misunderstood you are, Jesus understands you and he loves you for who you are, right? So this is not saying that you can sin however much you want, right? No, but it shows us, you know, the deep love that Jesus has for us that we cannot possibly have. If there's any other confusion, next slide, please. You know, I'll use uh, a movie that I really love, Ratatouille. So this critic, if you don't know, right, he has that famous line, you know, when he's meeting the new chef, right, and he, the linguine says to him, hey, you, you love food, huh? You love food, then how come you're so skinny? And he says, the critic, he says, the food that I love, if it's not good, I spit it out. And I'll spit it out. But he's there to criticize the linguine, and he, he goes to the restaurant, he tastes the food that Remy the rat made. You know, this rat, this small, not even a human. It was a rat who made it, right? And what happens? You see his eyes, right? There's a flashback to his childhood. And he's like, and he goes back. You know, he remembers when he was bullied. And, you know, his stuff got taken from him. And his mom makes this delicious meal for him to cheer him up. And he's, he reminds himself. He has this new perspective on food that he lost when he was becoming a critic. You know, and some of us are like this. No, all of us are like this. 
right? The thing is, is that the food is a metaphor. Tasting the food is a metaphor, right? Loving food is a metaphor for loving other people, right? There are people in our lives that if they're not good, we spit them out. We spit them out of our lives. But what Jesus does when we taste how much he cares and loves us, all of a sudden we're transformed. And he writes towards the end of the movie, he says that it's not that everyone can cook, right? But a cook, a great cook can come from anywhere. Right? He sees this rat. It's not even human, right? What is the rat supposed to represent in the movie? It's a symbol for the people who have been looked down upon, who have been hated, right? In the beginning of the movie, it tells you, right? Human, pe- human beings hate rats. Human beings want to kill rats. They wage war on rats. Guys, we are the rats. We are the rats. They hate us. They despise us. But once they taste the goodness of Jesus Christ, their lives are transformed. You know, so that is the meaning of the movie. That is the meaning of the symbols. Look deeper into your content. Look deeper into your souls. You know that this is true, right? And what comes out of it, right? Does he just change and now he's like, well, you know, I'm back to my old ways. No, he's a completely different person. He puts on a hat. No, no, he com- he's a completely different person by the end of the movie, right? He's enjoying food. He's enjoying life. And this is why I say that this is the beautiful truth of Christ, because not only does it save us, but it transforms us. Once we taste and see Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, his body broken for us, his blood paying for our debts, now we can have true human connection, right? When we see rats, we say, amen, praise God, right? This person, he's a sinner, he's a great sinner, but we love him. He's our brother, right? No matter who you are, God loves you. And we as a church have to strive for that also. It's hard for us, but Jesus taught us how to do it. It's difficult for us, but with all things are possible with God. This is the only thing that I can point to truly to tell you that this religion is true because people have been transformed by this truth. And who are these people that we're talking about? Next slide, please. Right? What difference does it make? This is the difference. Once you hated the rats, you hated people, you hated food, you hated humanity, but now you love it. Not in so much that what you can get from it, but what God sees in it. Right? We see you know, why Jesus dies for these people. We see, you know, through the lens of Christ, how to love. When we become Christian, the truth is instilled within us, and we see with God's eyes. And this is what the symbol of baptism is supposed to represent. We die to our lives here. We are buried with Christ, and we are brought up again with new eyes, with a new life. You know, this is a powerful and important image So when you get baptized in the coming months, when you become baptized and you declare your life for Jesus, that you're dying to this critical, hating human, hating type of worldview, and you become alive with Christ with his love, you know, don't just say like, okay, I'm done. Let's go to Korean barbecue. Or let's go eat. Don't say that. No, instead, let this imbue within you, in your spirit. The story of Peter does not end at his denial. He runs away from Christ. It says in Mark that he wept bitterly. 
right? After he had done this, he had realized what a mistake he had made, what a terrible betrayal he had done, what a person he had become. No, it's not that he had become. It was always within him, the sin. But as Jesus resurrected and Jesus came and Jesus forgave him for his sins, his life became transformed. He understood that the Messiah was not here to conquer the Romans. What a foolish idea. All those things that he had said before, it was all foolish. Instead, he says that Jesus is here to come to save us of our sins, to forgive us, right? That's the death and the resurrection. When Christ comes back, the first thing he does is forgive his disciples. And he understands why did Jesus come back? So that he can forgive us for what we had done to him, right? And he goes out into Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is on him, and he begins to preach, and he begins healing a lame man. He couldn't walk for many years. He brought him up, and tens of thousands of people began to believe. And well, here comes Caiaphas and Annas again, and they come to Peter, and they say to him, if you keep teaching about Jesus's resurrection, you know, you're gonna be like him. We're gonna put you away for a long time. And Peter completely transformed with love in his eyes, does not even rebuke them. He just says, you can say whatever you want to say, but for me, for what I've seen, for what I've heard, I will tell the truth. Peter, no longer a liar, no longer a critic of Jesus, tastes the goodness of Jesus Christ and becomes renewed and made a disciple of Christ fully. Likewise for us, we have to see the goodness of Christ. We have to see that we are the problem. We have these issues, but we come to Christ, who is ever-loving, wide, no matter who we are, and showing us his love on the cross, how deep it is, how high it is, and we are transformed when we learn this truth. So how do we know that this is true? Well, we know by the fruits. It is something that God does. When we see this, there's no way that I could say that I could possibly love someone no matter who they are. Right? But through Christ, people have done this, we have done this, and we strive to continually do this. That is how we know the truth. Right, next slide, please. And that makes the world of difference. And I was looking through the uh, FCBC walnut photos, and I think about this picture, right? Because it struck me a lot during the pandemic, right? Count it all joy. I was referencing Philippians when uh, Paul is in prison. I said, is that JC? Is that yours? Yeah, oh, whoa, nice. I didn't know who it was, but it was on the Instagram. But yeah, so it was such a beautiful passage. This is the new life that God gives to you, right? That symbol of the frame, right? That frame of reference that puts everything in clear, right? No matter what, even if you're just simply living your ordinary life, right? You can praise God. When you're eating food at the lunch line and you're just like, maybe this is not the best food, but I'm so thankful to God just to taste this. Like, I can really experience it. Or when you're having a conversation with a friend or you're meeting new people, man, I really feel like the Spirit is there, right? And I feel this all the time. I want you to feel it the same way. I pray that God will be in your lives, that you'll be able to experience all this, right? I wake up, you know, now, like daily, like just filled with joy, even when there's nothing to be joyful about because I can remind myself that my God loves me. And my God loves you as well. It's not selfish, right? Just as much as God loves me, he loves you. And I'm thankful that I have a God like that. I, am, I count it all joy. No matter where I am, 
whatever struggles that I have, no matter how many assignments that I have, I'm still thankful, right? And I hope that you have this same peace. Next slide, please. So that's the beautiful truth of Christ. Right? We say that is beautiful because it transforms us. It's not a truth like one plus one equals two because that doesn't transform us. It's not a truth that we can point to and say like, look, logical reasoning, now we understand. It's not a truth where we can say we've experienced it or we've experienced something and now we can tell you that this is true for me. No, it's the truth for all of humanity. It's the truth that comes from God's word shown to us. So here are some application points. Next slide, please. Right? So the application is to recognize our shortfalls and knowledge about the truth like Peter. Right? Acts 2 to 4, he recognized you know, what he got wrong. Right? Look at yourself in the mirror. Tell yourself, do I really tell the truth? Do I really admit to all the things I've done wrong? Am I really a good person? And ask yourself, how can I tell the truth more? How can I be better? Right? Next off, we want to experience the beauty of Christ. Right? Jesus tells us in the verses that go and ask other witnesses what they have seen from me. That's referencing to us. We need to read God's word. Right? That, it, the, God's word is his food for us, just like for the food for the critic. Right? If you don't eat it, if you don't taste it, you will not be transformed, right? But that doesn't mean just reading the word is enough that you'll be transformed. Instead, we have to ask God to forgive us, you know, for denying him and give us eyes to see his beautiful word, right? These three things, right? So I want to, you know, just let you guys know that if any of you want to start reading more of God's word, please let me know, right? If you don't know how to start reading God's word and you want someone to guide you through it, let me know after this. And then we'll figure something out to, to read the Bible together, right? So let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for this time that we all get to be together. I really want to praise you uh, with your word and with your song. And even though this was a, a lot to take in today, I pray that you really open up our hearts to see your beauty and how much you care for us. I thank you, God, and I pray this in Jesus' name.